Feeling stressed lately? Sluggish? Having trouble sleeping and thinking about your never-ending to-do list? It happens to the best of us, but we've got an insider secret for you to help you live your healthiest life and stress a little less this year. Pair the award-winning, gut-nourishing Just Thrive probiotic with the stress-busting, mood-uplifting power of Just Calm. These two products are game changers in helping you take control of your mental health and your overall health. They have been part of my daily routine for months, but you have to give them time to work. There is no magic overnight pill, even though we all wish there were. But trust me, these two products will help you live your best life. Just Thrive Probiotic is like a little gardener of your gut, safely eliminating bad bacteria and replenishing the good, and it actually produces antioxidants too. It can be opened and sprinkled into any food or drink, so it's a perfect probiotic for the whole family. And for next-level stress-busting mood support, add in Just Calm. This product has been proven to do the almost unimaginable. Quickly promote a healthy response to everyday stress, encourage a steady, serene, and balanced mood, drive mental clarity, focus, and alertness, and even support great energy and optimal sleep. This is true stress management built for our modern-day stress-filled world. Just Thrive Probiotics have more clinical research than just about anyone else in the industry. No fake marketing, no claims, just real proven results. Every product is natural and they have a money-back guarantee. What do you have to lose? To learn about this groundbreaking company, don't miss episode 1174, where I chatted with Tina, the CEO and co-founder. If you're ready to up your wellness game and beat bloat, digestive issues, stress, and more, you can get 15% off site-wide at justthrivehealth.com with promo code NATSAV15. That's N-A-T-S-A-V-15. While you're there, check out all their other research-based products for optimal gut and immune health. Just Thrive is your one-stop wellness shop. There's something for everyone, a probiotic for pets, vitamins for bone and heart health, and even a product to help with recurring UTIs, all with a bottom-of-the-bottle guarantee. Take control of your health this year with Just Thrive. One of the first jobs that I had in the health field was working in adapted PE at a community college, and I really enjoyed it. And I met all kinds of interesting people. A lot of the people there had had accidents, diving accidents, car accidents that had led them to be paraplegic or quadriplegic. There were people who had strokes. There were people who had MS and some other issues. And I'm really excited today that we're going to be talking about split-second foundation and split-second fitness. So Mark Raymond Jr. started both of these organizations. He's going to share his story and tell us why. Mark, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I really enjoyed reading about you, that you have a deep-rooted history of serving the community. And you built on the legacy of your grandfather, A.P. Trouraud. And you played a vital role in advancing various equity-centered efforts across the greater New Orleans area and beyond. I think that's so cool. I also love that you had a commitment to fighting for justice and equity, which started as a child. And my parents instilled that in me as well. Tell us about this. So growing up in New Orleans in my great-grandfather's legacy, it was kind of this um, this shadow that, that was cast, right, that you're being raised in and uh, somewhat trying to live up to, right? Um, So for many, many years, he was the only black practicing attorney in the state of Louisiana. He started the NAACP chapter, literally fought in the Supreme Court case that desegregated uh, the first school um, 
system, but it set the precedent to desegregate the rest of the country. And so a lot of his equity um, equity work was around voter registration, breaking those barriers, desegregating systems. And I, I think using the thought process that if we change the policies, we change the laws, that we would have the biggest impact. Um, and, and so learning all of that, and, and to be quite honest, I was intimidated by it, uh, especially, you know, as I was on, was in college, because it almost seems like you can't live up to it, right? Like you, it's, it's Mount Everest, right? How do you climb that? Um, and so in college, you know, I, I took the opposite approach. I was running from it, right? I was like, I don't, I don't want to do anything like this. I just want to do something that pays me good, that I can live a good life. Uh, it wasn't until my accident where I was thrust into a really adverse situation um, and had to learn um, how to advocate for myself, uh, how to address problems and frame them not from a perspective of complaining, but through the lens of solution. Um, and, and that well, I, I got my my real, my, I guess my footing, <laughs> no pun intended, but uh, <laughs> got my legs under me in, um, in justice-centered work and advocating for people with disabilities, uh, creating an organization that was centered around breaking barriers um, with what, what is a basically a civil rights fight, right? Yeah. I think people with, with, with disabilities have largely been discriminated and marginalized uh, forever, although we've had incremental steps to progress like the ADA um, and the Able um, Achieving a Better Life Experience Act, which created a savings and an investment vehicle for people with disabilities uh, to be able to save monies without losing their benefits. Um, but yet and still, a lot of times I, I find myself fighting the preservation community um, who aren't thinking through a functional lens. Uh, so that's a long-winded way for me to say that I think my childhood prepared me for the work that I'm doing now. Mark, tell us about your accident. So I was in, swimming in a spot in the lake that I had swim, swam at my entire life. It was very comfortable. Um, which is why I think I was diving off the boat in the first place. Not that that is a good reason. Uh, and quite frankly, if my mother had been there, she would have yelled at me the first time uh, that, that I dove, right? Right. But me being the 26-year-old, you know, let me take a risk kind of guy that I was, um, I dove at a point in the day where the tide had gone out and I wasn't paying attention to it. And so what was two and a half or three feet of water was now a foot and a half. And I, I, man, I remember opening my eyes and seeing the ground like right in front of my face uh, and thinking, damn, I didn't know it was that shallow and trying to move and I couldn't. Right. And then I tried again and I couldn't. And that's when the panic sets in and you're like, holy crap, I can't move. Right. Ah, what do I do? How do I? How do I, how do I turn over if I, I'm going to drown, you know, and it's all of these thoughts. I was thinking about my mom and, you know, I'm, I'm panicking. Um, of course. 
Um, while simultaneously, like I'm, I was a swimmer, avid. So also thinking about like how much long, how much capacity I had to hold my breath. I didn't take a deep breath, right? Um, but also panic makes your heart rate faster. Um, so not, needless to say, I, I inevitably drowned. Uh, my friends did recognize that something was wrong and saved me in time. Uh, or to do CPR and, you know, so I didn't have any brain damage, but I ended up getting pneumonia and was in a induced coma for two and a half weeks. So when I woke up in the hospital, I thought it was the next day and they were like, no, nah, dude, oh my God. you're lucky to be here. Right. And hearing that and also being told you're paralyzed is like, a no, I'm not right. Like, if this is luck, I don't want it, you know? Um, like it was in some ways it was a peaceful death. Um, and then waking up to this extremely adverse situation where doctors are immediately saying, you know, we don't know if you'll walk again. We don't know if you'll be able to breathe on your own again. Um, and, and that's when the stages of grief began. Right. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in denial. There's no way. You're telling me I, I won't walk again? Yeah, okay. What do you know, right? Like, no way. God wouldn't do this to me. Um, and every day I would try to wiggle a toe or move something that wasn't moving before, and nothing would happen, and it was just, like, slowly setting in that this was going to be life, and it was going to be a challenge. Um, as I moved and transitioned from the ICU into the rehabilitative hospital setting, um, I was introduced to a ton of great therapists and doctors and nurses, uh, counselors and social workers that were providing, you know, this consistent dose of care and reassurance um, that really got me to a point where I was at least kind of comfortable in this and, and saw a path forward a little bit, right? Like I had a little hope that life could kind of be okay. And, you know, it, it's still fresh. And a lot of doctors were saying in the first year, everything could change. Um, but it was when I was discharged that I was really confronted with like there not being enough resources in the community for people with disabilities, right? Um, oh, yeah. Specifically, I, I was doing three hours of therapy a day. So I went from doing three hours a day, PT and OT, doing nothing and being on a waiting list to get into outpatient therapy because the, the two systems didn't communicate in the capacity where it was a clean handoff, right? You had to be done with one before they were processing to be in, get into the next one. Um, so that time at home was really isolating and, you know, you're still grieving and dealing with um, the negative thoughts, the anxiety, the depression, uh, the denial and trying to get to acceptance, but any little thing is setting you off. Any little thing that you could have been doing if you weren't hurt, uh, something that, you know, places that you could be visiting, family, friends, we're starting to take a step back because now you're at your stable, um, you know, in the immediacy of an accident, you got thousands of people that want to support and want to linger and you know, bring you food and pat you on the back and come talk to you. 
But, you know, after that first two or three months and people start to dwindle away, that's really you. Like, that's when things just got tough. And that was where, like, the community resource component would have really helped me. I think having, you know, being able to lean on that community of people who were already living this and, you know, had some experience living it uh, would have given me a different perspective. Nonetheless, that that didn't exist. And so that first year for me was really challenging. Um, I did finally get into outpatient therapy, uh, started doing one day a week after like a month and a half of not doing much. And inevitably I got to two days and then three days before they discharged me. And I was back at square one with not having a place to really continue to drive my rehab. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned you had the the PT and the OT three hours a day. Did they do any regular therapy just to help you with the mental health issues and the depression, because it's such a huge change. And it's like, it's normal that you're in denial because it's like, it's too much. It's too much to take in, especially at 26. So they had a counselor on staff that would come and visit, I'd say two or three times a week and that we had access to. Um, I don't know that I was really even in a headspace to speak with her in a way that I needed to. Or I don't I don't know that she was really approaching the situation, you know, the way that I needed to. So it was it's it was tricky. While there was something there, I don't know that I took full advantage of it. Um so that was a tricky piece. So I'm looking at you now. You're moving your upper body. So originally they had said quadriplegia, correct? Which means from like the neck down. Yep. So really, quadriplegia, but tetraplegia. I had function in my arms uh, when I woke up. I could curl stuff, but I was very weak. Um, Okay. And what they tell you is what you have function of will get stronger, right? Like better at moving your arms and you'll get more flexible. And and quite frankly, the human body, I I don't think we know enough about. Like where I got the inspiration to start this program was from another group that I visited in California called SCI Fit. And seeing some of the returns and the progress that their clients had made over the course of four and sometimes 10 years was really the inspiration for me to start this program because, you know, I was looking at it like, well, damn, if I, if I push myself this hard every day, right, I'll see, you know, incremental gains over the course of a year and in three and five years. Um, And although I will say I don't unfortunately have the time that I need to really invest in myself, um, that is still my, my philosophy, right? Like, you know, when I do get to the point where I have two hours a day that I could dedicate to myself and my physical health, um, I'll see those those gains still, but I've definitely gotten a lot more mobility, a lot more function in my arms, and just the way that I can move and engage with people. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, you know, when I was uh, doing some research on you, I was reading about how that going to California, going to the place that you mentioned, was really a turning point for you. So it was. We left to go to Sacramento right after the one year anniversary of the accident. So it was right after I got through doing a full year of a birthday, of Christmas, of Thanksgiving, of Mardi Gras, and still being stuck in, if I wasn't paralyzed, 
Yeah. What would I be doing? Where would I be? Still in like a, a real grieving mode. Didn't have a community to lean on. When I got to Sacramento, the first day we rolled into the facility, everybody said hello. So I felt disarmed and comfortable. And as I'm looking around the room, I see a bunch of empty wheelchairs and people walking and working out and quite frankly, doing stuff that doctors said that I would never do. Um, I met the staff and they immediately like made me feel comfortable and like my life was really still valuable. And you could just tell that the way this space was built, it was like the the vibe was for you to get to know other people and engage and interact and and learn. Um, and so getting out of my comfort space, which was New Orleans at home, and away from all of the reminders of what I would be doing if I wasn't, right? really allowed me to open myself up to this new life and uh, think creatively about solutions for the problems that I was facing every day, which was lack of community, lack of um, space for me to exercise, lack of resources, lack of people who who really got it that I could lean on. Um, And and that was, I, I describe it as like finding the light in the darkness, right? Like, yeah. You know, every night I'm I'm going to sleep and waking up in the middle of the night and grappling, fighting these mental battles with myself about do I want to be here or you know, am I good enough still? Um it it was there where I I realized that I was and I had a purpose and it, this was something I I needed to do. How long did you stay there? <laughs> I was there for about 3 months and the only reason I left quite honestly is because it, it was so costly. It was uh, mm-hmm. that facility charges a hundred dollars an hour for their services, and I was going for two hours a day, five days a week. Right? I'm like, oh wow, um, I'm doing as much as I can. Um, so me and my mom burned through some quite a chunk of change, um, and, and that was the real limitation. Plus, we had just been away from home, you know, um, and, and it was time to get back and and start. I think doing this work. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's talk about this because you were able to see such a successful place that had the community, that had the things that people need who have these accidents or or if it's a stroke or MS or something else, right? There's a lot of different types of people and a lot of different issues, I'd imagine. Talk to us about the Split Second Foundation and the great work you're doing. We, we founded Split Second Foundation almost seven months after we got back, but I started doing the work. Oh, wow. Uh, I had no idea how to start a nonprofit, how to run one, what it took, you know, where the money was going to come from. I was new to all of it. So I started, you know, first meeting with advisors and other people in the space just to get a good understanding of what I was undertaking. And quite frankly, whether I wanted to create this as a for-profit business or a nonprofit business. Um, we arrived at a nonprofit because I could supplement um, some of the funds with donations, right? And, and the, mm-hmm. get the get everything off the ground. Um, so fast forward to April, 2018, we start, we found, we create a mission of uh, breaking barriers for people with uh, physical, societal and research barriers for people with disabilities. And our first objective, of course, was to get a fitness center going somehow. Um, I had a huge network of friends that I could lean on in New Orleans from people from my previous, you know, work and, 
So I started throwing fundraisers. And the first fundraiser, we we raised like $40,000. Oh, that's we, awesome. A good chunk of seed money. Um, I didn't have any expenses. I wasn't paying myself anything. After that, I put myself through uh, basically like an incubator program that taught me all of the different layers um, of operating a nonprofit that I needed to know, right? Marketing, earned and owned media, finance, having a good administrator, right? So the CEO is free to be the CEO and is not bogged down with the day-to-day operations. Um, got through that. Second year had another fundraiser and raised another 50000 Um, So now we're, we're sitting on a little bit of money and I start to look for spaces. Um, again, it's my first like shot at finding a commercial rental space and and that whole thing. I had I was gonna have to figure out how to purchase equipment. Um, August of 2019, there was a bad rainstorm that flooded one of the the neuro outpatient facilities I used to go to with a, a few inches of water. Nothing really got wet, but they couldn't keep the equipment, so they called me and asked me if I would. If they could donate it to me. And I was like, absolutely. Oh, awesome. We got this huge equity donation and equipment from Turo Hospital. And um, six months after that, COVID. That's the world ablaze. Oh, yes. Um, so we stopped the search for the new facility. We were planning a fundraiser for that summer uh, that we couldn't do. And I don't think I started to look for a space again until like July or August of 2020. Um, we find the space, sign a lease in like October, November. I mean, we did two months of build out, painted the space, dropped some rubber floors down, took that equipment, threw it in here. Uh, I hired the physical therapist that took care of me in the hospital to come and be the director and help us build out this program. Oh, nice. So, and we officially opened the doors February 15th, 2021. Right? Oh, my gosh. That's exciting. Hired a staff, got them trained on what we were trying to do, at least to the point where it could operate, it could function. Right. Now, when you say what you were trying to do, if you can, like, expound on that. Well, the problem that we were trying to create a solution for was that people were being discharged from outpatient and inpatient with no place to go. Right. right. Continue that rehab journey. Cause rehab for a lot of us is a lifelong process. Um, and so being able to provide that space was, was the mission. Um, but we also knew that I couldn't like float a full staff of physical therapists and occupational therapists. I needed, I needed kinesiology students or, you know, some college students to really uh, help me offset my costs. And I, I needed a, a, the director that could train them the right way that we were still operating a really safe program. But that was the big problem, right? And solution kind of model for what we've created. What we, what we knew was going to come from that was we were going to build this community, right? And it was going to be... Um, the, the solution to one problem was going to snowball into a solution for a lot of problems. And now like split second fitness has become um, not just a physical fitness resource for people, but it's a social 
space where they can come hang out with other people like them and connect and have ideas. Uh, we also this year launched a program called Split Second Cares, which is a mental health and case management, really resource navigation program to help people get through the filling out social security paperwork, right? If they need help with that or getting food stamps or getting connected with other state agencies that offer resources to people who've gone through, you know, some of these disabling conditions. Um, and, and with that program, we've engaged people, you know, as early as in inpatient where I was so that they understood what was available from a resource perspective in the community once they got discharged. It's just, you have people of all different ages and different backgrounds, all coming together, finding community, getting stronger, supporting each other. It's just so life affirming and hopeful, right? Cause you, you gotta have hope. And that's what's so elusive. I would assume when you first get injured like mm-hmm. this. You hit it. Our, our, our tagline is actually transforming hope into action. Um, that initial, like that onset of hope, the light that people um, see when they roll into the space for the first time and get comfortable with the staff, like you start to see people really come out of that depression shell, um, open up to our team and uh, allow us to take some of that, help them with some of that weight that they're dealing with. Um, and the outlets are, you know, I think I've, have been successful. For us, it's about creating the impact and the outcomes, right? And being able to generate uh, healthier communities. And so now as we look to expand into other cities and other markets um, and build out a larger donor base, so, you know, my, my big goal is for Split Second Foundation to be national. Oh, yeah, that'd be incredible. You know, as we've got a great board who's, who's, really national already. And, you know, in their experience, they see that there's a need for what we do everywhere. And also, here's another big thing. So we charge $25 an hour for our one-on-one sessions, right? Which- That's amazing. We uh, we, we heavily subsidize the program with donations, um, but we wanted to be able to hold people accountable you know, and have them pay something so that the time is valuable to them, but also keep it at a, a, a price point that the average person could really pay, especially in today's economy, um, which is it, it's tricky. Um, it, it, re- it requires me to hold a cardboard sign by the interstate, uh, you know, but it works. Um, we have a we have a big event that we put on every year now. It's called a show of love. Um, and it basically is our opportunity to showcase what we really do. And that's love people, uh, provide a space for people to feel comfortable in community and open up again, live a second life, right? Anybody's life in a split second. The critical thing is what you do after. That's so true. What advice do you have for people who are either themselves, they've recently been injured to the point where they let lost movement or their loved one has, or they've had a stroke that's made them less mobile or MS. Cause I I'm sure though, like you, we've talked about those first 
few minutes, days, hours, weeks, months. It, it's it's freaking tough. I mean, I can't. I don't swear on the show, but I'd like to. <laughs> it's more than freaking. Let's say it is. And my advice to them is just to keep going. I mean, some days. Some days you can't go around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You just got to go through it. And it sucks. But don't let it deter you from going forward. Right. No matter what. I I constantly felt like when I was just stagnant and wasn't doing anything, I was going backwards because, you know, inevitably you are right. You're moving in one direction. Um, And so, you know, if you don't have access to a facility where you can go and continue your rehab, find some, find, look at our YouTube channel and some of the exercises that you can do at home, right? Um, find, find friends that can help you and make sure you keep a strong friend group around you that values you and uplifts you um, when you're down. I, I think a lot of people don't, um, don't have the support that they need. And that, always drives progress in these types of situations, right? Uh, if I didn't have, you know, the support of family that I have, the support of friends that I've had, none of what I've built would have been possible. You know, it, it's, it's truly been a grassroots movement. Um, and it's, it's work that I've done because it needs to be done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I saw that camaraderie when I worked in the adaptive PE Everyone becomes friends. You have a guy who's 20. You have someone who's 80. You know, the guy who's 20 was in a car accident. And then the guy who's 80 had a stroke. And there's this sense of, you get me. We might have diff- we might have happened from different issues, but we both have limited mobility and we're both trying to get through this. And we can talk to each other. And that's what's so beautiful. Otherwise, it's so isolating. Uh, it is. And... All of the variables around it make it more isolating. The lack of accessible transportation, the lack of accessible hospitality, the lack of it being um, more understood. One in four people in America is considered to have some type of disability, whether it's physical, cognitive, or sensory. Um, There aren't enough organizations really pushing universal design and that it's okay Right. It's okay that you have this disability. We've got a safe space for you. You know, I feel like every major hotel brand should have some type of inclusive thinking in their product design. Right. Like definitely every hotel should have a wheelchair accessible pool. Right. Whether that's a chair, you know, a low spot at the bar, um, something that makes people feel welcome. The staff should have empathy training on what are those needs when people are calling and asking about wheelchair accessible rooms and accessibility. Um, we, we need to be more empathetic to all of these situations. Oh, totally. Did you do any aquatic therapy? So I have a pool. So I've, I've, I, nice. I like to use my pool and move around. Uh, I haven't done it in like a structured way with a therapist and they're like pushing me. And I think having that empathy is so important because a lot of people just don't get it, you know, and, and they don't really understand. They don't know. They treat you, you know, like you're inferior, right? Like a friend of mine who is vision impaired 
I'll, we'll go to a restaurant and people will look at him and then look at me and be like, what does he want to eat? I'm like, why don't you ask him? Right. Like, what the flip is wrong with you? So how do you deal with that? It pisses me off. Um, I, I, I've gotten so used to it, used to the stairs, used to um, the uncomfortableness that most people have because they don't have experience with it. Right. And I think this goes back to that, that empathy training that, restaurants should offer to uh, to their staff. Uh, and maybe this is something else that I need to put together and go sell nationwide, right? But <laughs> um, it's just a lack of experience and people not knowing how to engage in those situations. Right. Yeah, there needs to be more awareness, right? I mean, I think that that would be so key. I also think there needs to be more awareness around swimming and diving and lakes and pools. And there should be like, public service announcements or something, right? Because I think it's not, you know, when you, from the story that I heard, I, I watched some interviews with you, you had said one of your friends just got like this amazing news and you were so excited. It's like jumping up and down for joy. You just were like, woo, and jumped right, you know, or dove right off the boat. Like it wasn't even something, it just, and that's how quickly it happens, right? right? And I think that if we had more awareness, that's why I'm so glad you're here today, not just for that, but for all the incredible work that you do. Right. I, I agree. I'm actually going to do a, like a PSA about that this weekend. Oh, you are? Yeah. Cause spring break is coming around and boys are risky, right? We, 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 yes. especially like around the spring break time, you know, you get a few days and you want to jump off the roof. That exactly. Please don't. <laughs> Don't jump off the roof onto the trampoline and try to get in the flipping pool, right? Right. I'm like, I don't want to be the poster child for don't do it, but I'll do it. Well, is there anything you wanted to add? And of course, I'm going to get the website and how people can donate and all that good stuff. But anything in this conversation? It's been really enjoyable, Mark, getting to know you. Um, I think the glaring message is we are all human. We all have a, a start and uh, unfortunately will expire one day. Life is valuable. And the more empathetic people are and understanding that we all need each other, that we are the symbiotic um, in the symbiotic existence. Oh yeah. Uh, anybody's life could change in a split second and everybody's does at some point. Uh, we provide solutions and resources for getting people through those moments. Well, tell us all the ways we can find out about Split Second Foundation and Split Second Fitness. So please visit our website. Um, there's a great video that really tells the story about what we do. Uh, and you can donate through the website. You can also keep up with us on Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Mark Raymond Jr. I'm very active. My The Split Second Foundation's Instagram is at Split Second Foundation. Uh, you can find out a lot of information about different events that we do, uh, especially our show of love at the end of the year. Um, we do a, a big race. So there's there's a lot of different um, donation options in spaces throughout the year that that we try to capitalize on. But um, please, and small donations help us the most, right? Yeah. The five dollars. Oh, yeah. Getting 500 people to give us five dollars is like the mission. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody, come on. We got to do this. Go watch that video. It'll make you cry. It's so beautiful and heartwarming. So if you want to learn more, you can go to splitsecondfoundation.org. Again, it's splitsecondfoundation.org. Please donate. I love what Mark said about just $5. So come on, let's 
Let's do this. Go check out the video on the website and you can help people in such an amazing way. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.